This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of iron ore and copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements at mine sites across Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com slash critical to find out more. It's been a devastating few days for Australia's cricket community and fans around the world with the deaths of two giants of the game, Shane Warne and Rod Marsh. So the Squiz and Sport Today have come together for this look at these icons' achievements on the field and their lives off it. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Claire Kimball. And I'm Sam Ferris. Sam, usually we speak to you when some great sporting event is about to start, but we meet under sad circumstances. You were lucky enough to know both men from your previous life as a cricket journo. Yeah, this one is a surprise selection. I wish it kind of never happened, Claire, but I was lucky enough to get to know Shane and Rod. Uh, Both were very kind to me and it's been a rough couple of days, like I'm sure it has been for lots of people. Yeah, all right. Well, let's get into it and we'll start with Shane Warne. He was widely considered as one of the greatest bowlers in cricket history. But before we get to that, let's get some background. He was born on the 13th of September in 1969 in Upper Ferntree Gully, which is an outer suburb of Melbourne. And he was a talented sportsman right from the start. Well, not from the very start, uh, and that's because Warney broke both his legs in a playground accident when he was very young, and he had to scoot around by lying on his stomach on a trolley for about six months. Uh, He said that gave him very strong wrists and forearms from an early age. In high school, he played cricket. He actually started out as a fast bowler, but then developed his leg spin bowling. But right from the start, it was AFL footy. That was his first love. Yeah, and he was pretty good at it too, Mm. but not good enough to break into the top ranks. And that was a pretty brutal lesson for an 18-year-old just out of school. Yeah, things were looking pretty good for him as a rookie with AFL side St Kilda. He actually made it to the reserves level. That's one step below the top league, but he was cut from the roster in 1988. Uh, He was shattered by that. But he said there are only two ways to go. You could let it ruin your life or you could get determined about what's next. And that's what he did. And he committed to becoming the best leg spin bowler he could be. Sam, just explain what leg spin entails. It was almost a lost art form until Warren came along. And from where I stand, it looks incredibly technical with this sort of dusting of magic. Yeah, it's considered the hardest skill in the sport to master. In cricket, there are fast bowlers and spin bowlers. And there are two types of spinners, finger spinners who use their index finger to spin the ball. Nathan Lyon in the current Aussie team is a finger spinner. The other kind are wrist spinners, and they kind of roll the ball out from their hand using their their wrist to spin the ball. It's very tricky, but if you can get it right, the ball tends to spin more and you can spin it different ways by changing your wrist position. It's high risk, high reward, and we know Warnie didn't mind to gamble a bit. He didn't mind to gamble. <laughs> uh, it took him a few years to get on track, but in 1990, he was chosen to train at the Australian Cricket Academy under Rod Marsh, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, he was actually booted from the academy after a mooning incident in Darwin. <laughs> Uh, and he returned to Melbourne. And in 1991, he had his first class debut playing for Victoria in the Sheffield Shield. And then we get to 1992 and he was selected to play for Australia. 
Yeah, that test was against India at the Sydney Cricket Ground after just seven first-class games. So it was a real punt by the selectors. Uh, And look, he wasn't an instant success story, Claire. He took one wicket in that test and was smashed by India's batters. I'm wondering, Sam, if that had something to do with meeting Simone Callahan as he prepared for that match. <laughs> that was at a celebrity event in Melbourne where she was a model for the beer brand Foster's. Claire, uh, it's not for us to speculate, but they did go on to get married in 1995. Uh, but back to his cricket, and it was a bumpy debut and plenty of ups and downs over the next 18 months. Uh, he found a mentor in Terry Jenner, who was a former league spin bowler for Australia, and together they built Warren's confidence. Uh, and then we get to the 4th of June, 1993, the second day of the first Ashes Test at Old Trafford in Manchester. I think I know where this is going, Sam. Ball of the century? The ball of the century, also dubbed the ball from hell. I'm not sure which one's cooler. Both uh, rank right up there. Uh, Warney came in for his first delivery in an Ashes series. And what he unleashed was one of those moments when everything changes. Uh, not only did it dismiss England's captain, Mike Gatting, with a delivery that I could and do watch over and over <laughs> again, it also announced Warne's arrival as a player who was very, very special. And it was onwards and upwards for Warren. He said over the next four years he could really do no wrong on or off the field. He went on to play 145 test matches for Australia and he remains Australia's most prolific wicket taker with 708 wickets. It's daylight between him and the next bloke on the ladder. That's Glenn McGrath with 563 wickets. Sam, they had quite a partnership. It was a good day when you got to see Warney and Glenn McGrath bowling from each end for hour-long spells. Uh, the batters at the other end didn't like it, though, Claire. Uh, both were incredibly <laughs> accurate, relentless, and can produce a bit of magic. Uh, there's a reason why Australia dominated that era of cricket, and in large part that was down to how dominant those two men were. It wasn't just test cricket where Warney made his mark. He represented Australia in 194 one-day internationals, taking 293 wickets. He He captain coached the Rajasthan Royals to win the inaugural Indian Premier League. And Sam, Warren wasn't just an accurate bowler. His gamesmanship was a big part of his success. Let's get into that next. Warren was named as one of Wisden's five cricketers of the 20th century. It's the Bible of cricket. But he wasn't a fit guy. His diet was atrocious. (laughs) Sam, I loved in an interview you did with him, he said that if you want a sense of what he liked to eat, just look at the kids' (laughs) menu. Uh, He didn't mind a drink and he loved a smoke. Uh, And his teammates ribbed him about his lack of commitment to training. So his success is just down to raw talent, right? It's certainly not his diet, Claire. Uh, There's a bit of (laughs) mythology in all that as well. Uh, Warney did work hard at his bowling, but in his own way. Uh, He was relentless in his pursuit of refining his art and inventing new deliveries that would bamboozle the world's best batters. We're talking about the wrong end, the flip bar, the zuta, and so many variations of those. A lot were just the same ball with different names trying to confuse the batters and probably his teammates (laughs) as well. His training tapered off as he got a bit older. I mean, by the end, he just used to to bowl a few overs in the nets to be ready. He made it look so easy, Claire, which was frustrating for every other leggy in the world. Some of the best at that time, said Warren, wasn't necessarily the best bowler. And if you knew what to look for, a batsman could pick up his deliveries and score runs. But the reason why he had the success he did was because he was a master of the mind games. 
a master is understanding it because he was a genius. Uh, Warney had the capacity to read a batter's mind and he could really get under his skin, which saw them panic and throw their wicket away. South Africa's Daryl Cullinan is probably the most famous victim. He couldn't handle Warney at all. Uh, he actually went to see a therapist about dealing with Warney. As he walked out to bat the next time he played Australia, Warney asked, what colour was the couch, mate? Oh, it's just brutal. <laughs> and one of the things that's really struck me listening to people talking about Warren and reading accounts of what he was like to play with and against, and that's just what a tough competitor he was. Yeah, every time he went on the field, he wanted his team to win no matter what it cost. Uh, in his 100th test against South Africa, he bowled 70 overs in the second innings with a bad hamstring to try and get the Aussies to win. They won and Warney played the next test too. You just couldn't stop him sometimes. It didn't go all his way though, Sam, and during his career there were some notable lows. In 1995, the Australian Cricket Board fined Warren and teammate Mark Waugh for accepting money from a bookmaker in exchange for giving information about pitch and weather conditions. Uh, and in 2003, Warren was pinged for a positive drugs test. Yeah, he returned a positive result for a banned diuretic. Uh, many people who lived through that era will remember his defence. That was a fat drug that he got from his mum. Essentially, it was a tablet to remove excess fluid and help with a puffy face. So he was pretty vain, old warning. But it was on the <laughs> banned list because it was thought to mask performance-enhancing drugs like steroids. He talked about this being his biggest professional low because he wasn't taking performance-enhancing drugs. That was something he would never do. He was banned for a year over that and there were also some infamous personal indiscretions. Yeah, there was. Uh, he was serially unfaithful to his wife and became tabloid fodder because of it. Uh, his marriage to Simone ended over his cheating and he talked about the hurt and humiliation he brought on her and their three children, Brooke, Jackson and Summer. He said it was the biggest regret of his life. He was still able, though, to maintain good relationships with them all because he said that he owned his mistakes. Uh, Warren was also engaged to English celeb Elizabeth Hurley, but that didn't work out, although they remained friends. And I'm not sure what happened, Sam, with his relationship with Sharon Strzelecki <laughs> from Kath and Kim fame. No, uh, well, she married a Shane Warren impersonator, remember, Claire? Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and after the cricket, uh, Warren trod that very well-worn path to becoming a broadcast commentator. Yeah, he did that in Australia, the UK and in India. Uh, he also became a professional poker player and lent his name to charitable causes. And he had commercial interests in a gin distillery and a clothing line, though I didn't buy any of his undies, Claire. Uh, and in recent <laughs> weeks, he had been promoting a feature-length documentary on his life entitled Shane. That one's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, a bit too much information on your <laughs> underwear situation, Sam. Um, he and some of his mates were in Koh Samui in Thailand for a break after shooting and promoting that doco uh, when he had a suspected heart attack and died. The official cause of his death is still pending. He was just 52 years old. Sam, I like this quote from an ESPN article that followed news of his death and they said, when Warren likened his life to a soap opera, he was selling himself short. His story was part fairy tale, part pantomime, part adults only romp <laughs> uh, and part glittering award ceremony. He had the Playboy undies, Claire. Uh, can't let anyone forget that one. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a great quote, isn't it? Pretty much sums up his life. Uh, and it's good to note that the MCG will rename the massive Great Southern Stand after him. It'll be the SK Warren Stand uh, pretty shortly, a fitting tribute 
I reckon. I must say it felt like Warney was the bridge between the everyman and the superstar. We kind of lived through him and with all the flaws, we could relate and empathise with him as well. He's going to be missed. And that's your shortcut to Shane Warne. Let's take a look at the life and times of Rod Marsh next. Claire, we're working with BHP again on Weekly Wrap this week because they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key for our economy's shift to renewable energy. Yeah, so we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role that mining companies are playing in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure, as well as bridges and transportation, hospitals and schools, and a big part of it comes from iron ore. That iron ore mainly hails from Western Australia, and BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Western Australian iron iron ore is clear. Yeah, and by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. That's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Headland. It's happening now at BHP. And if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. We're going back a couple of generations before Warren's time, but Rod Marsh was a huge figure in Australian cricket between 1970 and 1984. Put simply, he was one of Test cricket's greatest ever wicket keepers. Yeah, Rod really was the pioneer of the great Aussie wicket keepers. He played 96 tests for Australia and he had a hand in 355 dismissals, which was a world record at the time. He was the first Aussie wicket keeper to score a test match century and he also had a partnership with legendary fast bowler Dennis Lilly and they were the most prolific bowler wicket keeper union in test history. Court Marsh bowled Lily. Mm-hmm. It was recorded 95 <laughs> times in the results books and that's a record that still stands today. Warren was a big part of the most successful Aussie team in history, but the team that Marsh was at the centre of were no slouches either. No, they weren't. And it was a different time when there were huge changes happening in cricket with the rise of Kerry Packer's one-day format and the start of a ramping up of the test cricket calendar in response. Uh, But when you look at the names Marsh played with, we're talking about the likes of Lily, Jeff Thompson and the Chapel Brothers. And Marsh was about as popular as they come. Marsh made a huge contribution on the field and he continued to be involved after his retirement. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. He was very involved. Uh, he was the head of the Australian Cricket Academy in Adelaide where he worked with the likes of Warren, Ricky Ponting and plenty of other talented youngsters and that helped usher in that dominant era of Australian cricket that Warren was a big part of. He was a national selector for many years, including as head selector before he stepped down in 2016. Marsh's attitude was that cricket was a simple game and you didn't need to really overcomplicate things. (laughs) And there are plenty of stories about his relaxed, larger-than-life character. Well, let me start by saying, Claire, it was a different time back then. (laughs) Uh, Marsh was known as a lovable larrikin and he had quite a bit of enthusiasm for a beverage. Uh, He famously drank 51 cans of beer on a flight to England in 1983, breaking the record of 44 by teammate Doug Walters. Marsh had to be wheeled through customs in Heathrow on a baggage trolley. It was a little bit worse for wear. (laughs) And the UK tabloids didn't miss. There was one headline screaming, Marsh splashes down. Uh, 51 beers. I couldn't drink that much water in a week, I don't think. There's many parallels, Sam, that you can draw between Warren and Marsh. 
in many ways there are, Claire. Uh, they were both men who were comfortable with who they were and I thought Greg Chappell wrapped it up pretty nicely after news of Marsha's death. He said he was the spiritual leader of the team who was not afraid to speak his mind, much like Warney was. Marsh actually came up with the team song the players sing after a win under the Southern Cross Eye stand and that's been handed down throughout the generations. In one aspect of his life anyway, Marsh was more successful than Warren. He was a strong family man and many of those who have been eulogising him in recent days say that he was devoted to his wife, Roz. His son, Paul, said that he was an incredible husband, father and grandfather. It was a really difficult week for them leading up to his death. Yeah, it was. Uh, Marsh had a heart attack on February the 24th in Bundaberg, Queensland. He was up there for a charity event. Uh, He was placed in a coma and taken home to Adelaide, but he didn't recover. He was 74 years old. Having got to know both Marsh and Warren a little bit, I can tell you they really, really lived their lives. Um, Lots of great moments, memories, and lots of friendships. Yep, and you can tell from all the tributes that have come in from all over the world uh, that they were much-loved men. And that's your shortcut to Shane Warne and Rod Marsh. On to our recommendations. Sam, it would be very immodest of you if you were to recommend a (laughs) podcast episode you did uh, when you were on Cricket Australia's Unplayable podcast, so I'll do that for you. (laughs) Uh, Just a couple of years ago, you marked Shane Warne's 50th birthday, uh, and it's a great account from his teammates like Glenn McGrath and Ricky Ponting and also those he played against, and you spoke to Warney himself. I thought it was just so great. Claire, it was a career highlight. I'm sorry. I think I've peaked. Um, <laughs> I must say I was stressing hard texting Warney to try and come on, but he was so nice. He texted me right back and was happy to do it. He was just so generous with his time for me and, and for everyone. Um, for me, I've watched Warney's top 50 wickets in Australia on repeat these past few days. Uh, it gives you a real sense about just how magical he was. Some of the dismissals are just mind-blowing. Mm. Uh, and for Marsh, there's a great video package of some of his best catches off Dennis Lilly's bowling. Sadly, there's no footage of him downing those 51 beers, probably, probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, sadly or lucky for him, one or the other. <laughs> no camera phones back then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Squish Shortcuts. If you like this shortcut, you might want to consider leaving a review in your podcasting app. Uh, we always love getting recommendations on Shortcuts, so if you have any ideas, get in touch at hello at thesquiz.com.au. Until next time. 